Amen. Thank you uh, so much, Christine and Tim, uh, for leading us into some remembrance time of Jesus. And thank you, Christine, for those really deep and insightful and comforting thoughts. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm so thankful for Tim and Christine. They have such a huge impact on our church family, on our personal family. I know many times we felt very comforted by you and Tim in the friendship and you guys are incredible people, incredible parents, and got a great family. And Jack, nice, nice note to mom there. That's good job. You get lots of good stuff when you say those kinds of things to mom. Amen, amen. Well, how's everyone doing? You guys excited about getting in the Word of God today? Uh, it's been about, um, it's been about almost, uh, I don't know, three or so weeks since I've preached, and so. Tim said uh, uh, you have permission to go three to four times as long as you normally do, uh, so I'm fired up about that, so um, just order some Jimmy John's or whatever, we're going to be here a while, just kidding, uh, but I am excited to get into God's Word today, uh, but a few you know, things that I want to talk about before, so you can open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 17, 2 Kings 17. Uh, last week, Claire got baptized into Christ, so Claire, could you stand up, please? She may have stood up last week, but uh, uh, that's exciting. And like three weeks ago now, Andrew was baptized. Andrew's back there. Go ahead and stand up, Andrew. Uh, so that's super exciting. Welcome to the family, you guys. Um, we had, many of you are asking, how was Africa? We had a great time in Africa. Uh, we're going to share, uh, we, uh, some of us built a house in Africa, some of us ran a, uh, about seven basketball camps, and also Caleb Moose went to Nepal. I don't know exactly what Caleb did there, but all of us are going to share about our mission trips uh, at Congregational Midweeks over the next couple months, okay? So you're going to kind of slowly hear, uh, but thank you to the church for supporting our trips Many of us received some scholarship funds, so we really appreciate it. God moved in awesome ways, very bonding with our brothers and sisters there. I think we had a great impact on the poor and the needy, and uh, yeah, it's awesome. But it is so good to be back home, so good. Can I get a witness from those who traveled internationally? It is so good to be uh, back in Eau Claire and back with you guys. It's exciting that summer's kind of winding down, so people are coming back from vacations. I see some of the students are coming back. Alec is back. Welcome back, Alec. Um, so this is exciting time of year, the fall season and uh, football starting up. So that's uh, it's exciting for some of us. Others, uh, I know you're not very... Anyways, um, so we'll, we'll just see. Okay, Second Kings. I have a Latin phrase for us today. Grace is going to laugh at me. Premonitus, premonitus. Premonitus, premonitus. Does anybody know what that Latin proverb says? It means forewarned is forearmed. Forewarned is forearmed. And it's actually been a, a saying of some of the navies uh, uh, in, in throughout history and that sort of thing. But you know, today we're going to be forewarned from the Word of God. And the point is that when we are forewarned, we are forearmed. We are prepared because we know something about God. We know about human nature. We're prepared to act accordingly now because we received a warning. 
It's kind of got a parent-child theme going on today. Uh, so I'm going to tell a story about my, when my oldest son, Jackson, was about a year old, uh, about 17 years ago now. We started to take seriously the admonition to train and instruct him in the ways of God. And one of the things that every child needs to learn quickly as a child, or they're going to get hurt, is this word, no. The word, no. They need to know what no sounds like. They need to know what no means. And they need to know when mom or dad says no, what to do. Are you with me? And why is that important? Let's have some audience participation. Why is no, teaching your children no, why is that important? Carter? So when the child is putting themselves in danger, which they often do, they need to hear no in order to, for their own safety, right? If they don't understand no, and by the way, this isn't, if you've picked up on it, this isn't just uh, for little kids. This is for us as big kids too, right? God needs to tell us no at times to protect us from our own selves. But if they don't understand no, and that when I say, as a father, when I say no, I mean no, and I mean stop it right now, then they're going to hurt themselves, okay? So I remember uh, training Jackson not to touch the outlets, and he said, Jackson, you know, come over here. And he's about a year old. So I said, okay. I said, this right here, this is an outlet. We plug things in. But what you don't plug in is your tongue or your finger or your toys. Okay? So this is no. Look in my eyes. No. Jackson. So this is no touch. Okay? Don't touch this, right? Or bad things happen to you. Okay? No touch. So guess what Jackson does? He touched it, and so then I came in with, well, consequences, okay, for disobeying father. Okay, anyways, um, as, as a parent, one of our main jobs is to warn our children. Uh, they need to learn to listen and respect the no. Jesus constantly is warning in his ministry. It could be called a ministry of warning. He warned the Pharisees of pride. He warned the apostles of coming suffering. He warns sinners to repent or something worse will happen to you, right? The role of uh, um, a preacher, one of my roles is to continuously warn our congregation. You know, Paul said in Acts 20, verse 31, he never stopped warning night and day the people for three years with tears. He never stopped warning. So today we're going to study the history, some, a portion of the history of the Israelite kings. So we're walking through the Old Testament, and we're about to leave 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. And I so appreciate Eli has done, I heard, an outstanding job of preaching the word uh, in our absence. And I listened to one of them. He said like last week we were going deep into the bullpen, and we all know that that's not true, right? Okay. Um, all right. But he's done an outstanding job, and we're about to leave Kings, and we're going to go into Ezra, Nehemiah, etc. But we cannot leave the book of Kings without listening to one of the major conclusions that the prophet who wrote the book of Kings uh, summarized their history and what they learned from, okay? And that's 2 Kings chapter 
17. So a study of the history of the Israelite kings serves as a warning for us today. It's really a simple, simply a story of our own humanity and points us to the need for the King of Kings, Jesus. Amen? So in 2 Kings chapter 17, we have the author who interprets the history. So, you know, like we've talked about, the, 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 king, the kingship in Israel is going, it's getting worse and worse. Okay? David is a great king, and Solomon starts out good, finishes poorly, and his son, uh, Rehoboam, splits the kingdom, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom, Israel, had 20 kings. Guess how many of those 20 kings uh, pleased the Lord and did what was right in God's sight? How many out of 20 would you think? One? One or two? You'd think there'd be some, right? I mean, this is the people of God. Zero out of 20. The southern kingdom, Judah, had some good kings. We're going to talk about Hezekiah and Josiah at the end of our lesson. But the northern kingdom, God's word, God's law, uh, zero out of 20. It gets worse and worse and worse. And so towards the end of the book, we have this why Israel fell. And so 2 Kings chapter 17, we're going to read verse 6 through verse 23. And we're going to listen to the warnings involved so we can be forewarned and therefore forearmed. Amen? 2 Kings 17, verse 6. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria, captured Samaria and carried Israel away into exile to Assyria and settled them in Halah and Hebor on the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. So things get worse and worse for Israel, more and more darker, deeper into evil. Uh, they're getting to the point where they are sacrificing their own children. So they weren't having baby dedications. They were having baby sacrifices toward the false gods. Okay? So this is extremely dark. Over 200 years in the northern kingdom getting worse and worse and worse. Okay? And, and so God uses Assyria to come and take Israel and to take them into captivity. Verse 7. Now this came about because, and this is what's key. So we have the, this because statement is an interpretation of why this has happened. Okay, so special note in the book of Kings, uh, God is going to tell us, not just see and kind of try to figure it out ourselves. He's going to tell us, no, this is specifically why this happened. So extremely valuable what follows. Okay, let's listen closely. This came about because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up from the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel and in the customs of the kings of Israel, which they had introduced. The sons of Israel dig things secretly, which were not right against the Lord their God. Moreover, they built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. They set for themselves sacred pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all the high places as the nations did, which the Lord had carried away to exile before them. 
and they did evil things, provoking the Lord. They served idols, concerning which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord had warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets in every seer, saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you through my servants, the prophets. However, they did not listen, but stiffened their neck like their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant, which he made with their fathers, and his warnings, which he warned them, with which he warned them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the nations which surrounded them concerning which the Lord had commanded them not to do like them. They forsook all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves molten images, even two calves, and made an Asherah and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. Then they made their sons and their daughters pass through the fire and practiced divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. None was left except the tribe of Judah. Also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs which Israel had introduced. The Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. When he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel away from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. The sons of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel from his sight. As he spoke through all his servants, the prophets, so Israel was carried away into exile from their old land to Assyria until this day. It's like, oh, wow, this is super encouraging, bro. Actually, it is not encouraging, is it? It's, an, it's intense. It's moral failure. It's evil. It's getting darker and darker and darker. 200 years. Again, Israel's the northern kingdom. Judah is doing better for a little while, okay? But even Judah, the southern kingdom, is being led astray by the northern kingdom Israel, okay? And it, God is not quick to anger. He's slow to anger, right? And so he loves them. These are his children. And so he's patient with them. 200 years, though, it's getting darker and it's getting more. So what does God do? He sends prophets. He sends messengers. Please, I beg of you, turn from this. Turn from this evil. Okay? But what do they do? They respond with, it's called stiff-necked. Okay? It means that they just stop their ears. They're not listening. And uh, um, we've all responded stiff-necked at various times in our life to the pleading, to the word, to our consciences. Okay? And so, eventually, God removes from them his protection to allow them to reap what they've sown. And they're taken into captivity. Let's review why this happened. And then we're going to talk about three, four warnings so we can be forearmed. Okay? Why did this happen? Number one, they slowly disregarded God. Verse 7. They slowly disregarded. Ever so gradually, 
disregarded God. It actually began with worshiping the true God, but in a false way. So when the kingdom split, all of Israel used to go down to Jerusalem to worship in the temple, right? With their boot, their festivals, all these things that are described in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, etc. Okay? So when they split the kingdom, they said, you know what? It's just too hard. It's too much sacrifice. It's too inconvenient. Let's go ahead and set up worship of Yahweh, but we'll just do it in our own way to make it easier, to make it more convenient. Boy, does that not describe 21st century Christianity in America? Would you not say? Okay, so it began with worshiping God, but in a false way. And it evolved slowly into then worship, worshiping false gods. Number two, they conformed themselves to the godless nations around them. They conformed themselves. They let the other nations define God instead of Yahweh defined himself. They didn't know God. Okay? And so they took on other gods or they invented their own gods. Number three, they secretly and then openly practiced idolatry. Verse 9 through 12. Started out as a secret. And we've all experienced this, right? What did Moses first do? When he was taking, he looked around, left and right, and then he murdered the guy, right? We are our consciences when we're are soft. And we feel guilt and we feel shame. Same with Adam and Eve as they first sinned and they hid from God. What we do in secret, God sees. And God knows. There are no secrets with God. Who we are is not who we are in public. It's who we are in private. Okay? They started secretly, but then it ended up in open idolatry. It says here, it's very interesting, it says, uh, um, it says they, in verse 15, it says they followed vanity and became vain. That's interesting. What, what, what was that talking about? The word there, uh, the different versions have a hard time describing this. It says they worshipped worthless idols and became worthless. The NIV says that. Okay. The, uh, uh, another version says that they followed empty idols, and became empty. The principle is whatever you worship, whatever we worship as humans, and we are worshiping people, we all, it's like, well, I don't worship, I'm an atheist. I don't. No, all of us, we worship something. Whatever we worship, that's what eventually we become. And when it's a false god, then we embrace falsity. When it's an empty God or not a God, then we become empty. You want to know that the reason for the emptiness that we try to fill with all kinds of things? It's because our gods are empty. Um, this one guy said they bowed down to nothing and became nothing. They bowed down to nothing and became nothing. Number four, they rejected the repeated warnings from God. God isn't, like I said, God isn't quick to anger. Like, one strike, you're out. It's like patient, warning them, warning them, warning them. God gives us all kinds of warnings. Uh, but it talks about the prophets. I want to list to you the, all the names of just the prophets that we know about that God sent. Uh, Ahijah, Elijah, Micaiah, Jehu, Elisha, Jonah, Amos, Hosea, 
Micah, Isaiah, Nahum, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Daniel, Ezekiel. 200 years of prophets. 200 years of messengers saying, it needs to stop. Stop or something worse is going to happen. And yet over time, it's like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I've been there. Have you? I've been there. Conscience. Oh, that's wrong. So Whatever. No one knows. Yeah, but God knows. Word of God. Whatever. Stiff-necked, right? Are you with me there? Um, This one theologian said, their sin was first against the law, but it finally was against patient love. See, when God communicates something to us, the expectation is that we will listen. And God communicates to us, right? When I, when I communicate to Jackson, don't touch the outlet, and then he touches it, when there's no, at that point, is a crucial character formation moment in his life. If that point is like, aha, you touched the outlet, even though I said no, oh, that's so cute. Oh, oh well, well, you didn't get a shock, did you? So I guess dad was wrong. No immediate consequence. Is that, is that how it works? No, it's like at that point, the father's response. So when God says stop or do this or don't do that and we blow it off, we may think we're getting away with it, but we are not, right? We are not. God is patient, and so he communicates to us. How does God? God communicates to us through creation, through our conscience, through the word of God, through circumstances. Over and over, he sends messages. He sends um, uh, prophets, so to speak, into our life. And then lastly, they completely forsook God and served idols. They just gave themselves over. They just said, you know, I'm not even, I'm not even faking it anymore. I'm not even faking it. You know, I just see this progression so clearly in my own life. I grew up going to church. My dad was a preacher, Right? And I grew up hearing the word of God. I mean, my dad was preaching. Believe you guys, me. Uh, I, I, my dad preached on Sundays, but he preached far more on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And I was the youngest of four. And it's like he was like storing up wrath, you know, for uh, I don't know what the older kids did. But, but, but it was like, oh, it was coming at me. You know, I love the Deuteronomy 6 about when you walk along the road and at the table. That was my dad, you know. And for many years, I was, I was resentful. I was like, Dad, give it a break. Here comes another story about creation and evolution. You know, this is back in the, in the 70s and 80s when the creation-evolution thing was real, the rage, you know. And, uh, um, but it was just like over. And so, so there was a lot of good things happening. But then slowly, I just disregarded the Bible. Disregarded. I left my Bible at church on Sunday. I didn't read it at all. It was just sitting in my chair where my Sunday was so I could, you know, read it then. Then you don't even read it. And you just disregard the principles. Things like purity. Slowly, secretly, and then openly transgressing what the Bible had to say, right? Things like putting God first. Nope. Too many other important things. Too many sports. Too much academics. Too much social things. Uh, just slowly, surely... And then after a time, it was like I came to a point where it's like either 
you listen up? Or in my mind, I was confronted with the word of God and what it meant to be a disciple, what it meant to really love God, love the word and follow the word. And I remember walking on a sidewalk in downtown Minneapolis and I said, either I'm going to go all the way into God or I'm going all the way out and I'm not faking it anymore because I see now that this is this game that I'm playing. It's not working with God. And by the grace of God, it went all the way in. But it, it, honestly, there, there was moments where it's was like, mm. and I know if I would have went all the way out, I would have stopped faking it and just become exactly like the world. Are you with me there? Completely, they just completely forsook God and served idols. And so this nation, this people of God, had become exactly like the non-Christian or non you know, Israelite nations that God had driven out so the people of God could come. And so God allowed them to be driven out. Forewarned is forearmed. It's very interesting what happens now in Judah after this captivity of the northern kingdom in Israel. We see for a few moments has, has a, through the leadership of Hezekiah and Josiah a great revival in the southern kingdom of Judah. Why? Because they just saw what happened when you don't pay attention to God. And they learned and they listened. Okay, let me look in, uh, in, in chapter 18, verse 2 of Hezekiah. Listen to this. It says, um, Hezekiah was the son of Ahaz, king of Judah. He became king. He was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. He did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Did you catch that? See, his, his physical father Ahaz was an evil king. But Hezekiah had seen what happened to the northern kingdom of Jerusalem. He says, no, I'm going back to my spiritual father David. So the environment that we're in is never a reason for us to ignore God. Amen? Amen? Because if we want to, we can always find the people whose faith we can imitate. It says, uh, um, verse 4, He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah. He also broke in the pieces, in pieces, the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. Whoa, did you catch that? The witness, like Hezekiah, there's nothing, no one has ever been like him, and no one before him was like him. It's incredible. Okay, that includes even King David. So Hezekiah is an all-star. Why? Because he was forewarned and therefore forearmed. Let's skip down to Josiah in chapter 22, and then we'll have some thoughts to close. Josiah chapter 22 also was forewarned and therefore forearmed. So Josiah, basically someone, that the scriptures were so lost, so old, so ignored that they didn't even have the scriptures around. And someone was cleaning out the temple, literally. And what did they find? They found the scrolls. They found the book of the law. It's like, hmm, I wonder what this is. And they start reading it. Listen to the response. Remember, the main problem with Israel is their lack of response to the word of God. So listen to Josiah's response. 
When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Achbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and the people in all Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us, because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Let's skip down to verse 18. But to the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel regarding the words which you have heard. Now this is God's response to Josiah's response right here. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse and have torn your clothes and have wept before me. I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers. You will be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes will not see all the evil which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. See, we have Hezekiah and Josiah forewarned and therefore forearmed. And that's the point of this message today. We as a people can be forewarned and therefore forearmed. Amen? Okay, three warnings. Number one, God don't play, revere him. God don't play, guys. Revere him. If we don't take this warning that... God is God. He's holy. He demands reverence. Malachi chapter 2, verse 5 says, My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave it to them. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence. And awe. I once heard that fear of God. Oh, that's just kind of an Old Testament thing. Wrong. Okay? Reverence for God is as New Testament as sure as Jesus is New Testament. Okay? Reverence for God is timeless. Those who revere God, revere the Word of God, revere the Spirit of God, revere the family of God, those are whom... God responds to in a tender and merciful way. Are you with me there? Those who will remain stiff-necked after many rebukes will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. You choose. You choose. I don't know about you, but I want to revere God. I want to fall on my face before God and tremble and, and, and respond. Amen? Okay? Revere God. Secondly, idolatry desires us. Therefore, get rid of the idols. Okay, get rid of idols. Idolatry, sin is crouching at our door. Idolatry is one of our biggest struggles. Idolatry just means anything that we put before God, anything that we follow, anything that we think about more, worship more, or, or have more allegiance to, or more excitement or zeal about. I remember, I remember one time when I uh, uh, honestly got, uh, there, my relationship with God was about eighth on my list. Because I had school, I had girls, I had grades, I had all kinds of things that were, were, were more capturing my heart. God plus blank equals peace and joy for you. Whatever is in that blank, that's what you struggle with your idolatry. God plus success at work, God plus happy marriage, 
God plus marriage at all, God plus having kids, God plus my kids turning out well, uh, God plus what? That is your struggle with idolatry. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Just like the, the nations of the world were pressing in on the Israelites, constant pressure to conform, constant pressure to fit in. In over 200 years, they just gradually became just like them. It's the same thing today. Teens going into high school this year, okay? Constant pressure to conform, constant pressure to do drugs, constant pressure to violate what you know is right and what you know is wrong. You decide now. Are you going to give into it or are you going to take a stand? Like Hezekiah took a stand and said, get this out of here. Like Jesus took a stand, said, get these out of here. What will you do? You got to decide now before you get into that hallway. Are you with me there? How about college students? Same thing, right? Homosexuality and uh, 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 the sexual promiscuity. I walked through the campus last night and I begged God to forgive all the sin that's going to happen in a short amount of time. God, please forgive. Please have mercy. Please call those who uh, are seeking you to meet the disciples and become Christians. Friendship, James 4.4. Friendship with the world means flirtation with the world. Just a little buddy-buddy. I got a little world, and I got a little Jesus, and I make him fit just right. That way, my conscience is clear, because I know I'm not going to go to hell, but I fit in with the world, and everyone thinks I'm cool. Right? We call that mixed drink theology. A little bit of Erica, a little bit of Jesus. Okay? Sorry. Friendship the world means enmity. The NIV changed it. It used to say the friendship of the world means hatred toward God. Even the Bible translators are softening this, this warning. Friendship with the world is hatred toward God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. These are the struggles, the idols that I have to struggle and continually get rid of. Success idol, sports idol, sex idol, social acceptance idol, security idol. We're so obsessed with anxiety and getting rid of anxiety. Listen, anxiety is a part of life, okay? Once you accept that you're going to deal with anxiety, you won't be so obsessed with getting rid of it, getting rid of it, right? I'm, are you with me there? Hardship, comfort, all these things, that's part of life, okay? Discouragement. Maybe it's not depression. Maybe you're just a little discouraged. You need to get in the Bible and learn how to receive his joy. Maybe it's depression. You need to take that seriously, okay? But maybe it's just discouragement. These idols, though, of sex, sports, success, social acceptance, security, they're constantly pressing in on us, calling you to compromise your convictions. Get rid of them. And number three, God continuously communicates. Listen to him. God is continuously communicating. He's communicating to you right now. He's communicating through Hezekiah and Josiah. He's communicating to you through the birds in the air that sing sweet nothings into your ear of his love. I, he's, he's communicating to you all over the place, right? He communicates to you through your mom and dad, through your children. Uh, I learned so much about God from my children. Uh, there's constant communication, but are you listening? Are you listening? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Your conscience, is your conscience stricken today? Are you keeping secret things that you know you should be open about? 
The Word of God, when's the last time you opened it and really studied it and really drank it in? Circumstances in your life, are you humble or are you making excuses for them? The prophets in your life, the prophets and the kings are always in conflict. There's always in conflict because the prophets are bringing the king the truth and the king doesn't want to hear it. Do you have prophets in your life who are willing even to go through conflict with you? We're desperate for those. God continuously communicates. Let's listen to him. Guys, forewarned is forearmed. Let's be warned from the word of God today and therefore be armed for victory. Amen? Um, let's not be like the northern kingdom. Chippewa Valley Church, northern kingdom of Israel, not equal. Amen? <laughs> but let's be like Hezekiah. Let's be like Josiah. Let's revere God. Let's repent of our idolatry. Let's tremble before the word of God. And ultimately, the spirit of God will transform us to not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And ultimately, we will be like the king of kings, Jesus. And he will call us home. And we won't be taken to the Assyria, the Babylon of captivity, but into eternal freedom. Amen? Heed the warning today. Let's let the Spirit cut us, and we will glorify God in our response. At this time, Mr. Caleb Moose is going to come forward. He's going to help us pray for contribution, and then give us some announcements, and we'll sing one last song, and we'll be done. <laughs>